Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book about Ukraine. Asterisk. <laughs> Little as you can't see this, but Nick is very bothered by the fact that Joe has functionally mm -hmm. uh, colonized Ukraine <laughs> by bringing a Putin book to our Ukraine week. It felt this like it was on theme. <laughs> I think it's going to be fine, but Nick isn't sure. Nick doesn't. Nick, I, would has, say that I know that behind the scenes, it seems like Nick is like hey, this, fun, this freewheeling guy. But Nick rules like he <laughs> edits this show. He rules this show with an absolute iron fist. Like Ian and I are so scared to step out of line. <laughs> that is all Nick, true. Cut this. But if 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 we had to assign roles to this, I would say Nick right. is Putin. I am Ukraine, and Joe is sort of NATO in this situation. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Uh, to help us navigate this uh, catastrophe episode, our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Nick, who is more qualified to speak on international relations, global tensions, escalation than two high school your English high teachers? School English than your local high school English teacher? Than three Wisconsin boys? Um, Nick, my name's Joe Holshu. I'm a high school English teacher. And this week, if you are looking for a book about Ukraine, I have just totally played the heel and I've brought a book about the rise of Vladimir Putin. It's called The Man Without a Face. The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin, 350 pages written in 2012. And guys, spoiler alert, this Putin guy, he might be bad news. Hello, comrades. It's me, Dr. Ian DeYoung. I am a high school English teacher, not a high school Ukrainian teacher. And uh, this week I read a book about the Ukraine conflict, but not the current Ukraine conflict. It's, it's conflicts from about 20 years ago. Turns out they're not that different. My book is called Death and the Penguin. It's a novel. It's set in Kiev in the 1990s. And it is, let's count them down. One, weird. One. Weird. Two, two. funny. Three. And three, two. poignant. One. Two. Are we Nine. counting down? Should we have started at three? Oh, three, poignant. Two, funny. And one, weird. Good. Hey, Joe. That is, I, I am, I am emotionally touched right now because you've remembered the three things I said. Nick, I think I, that may be the first time in, in like what, 15 <laughs> years that any of you have listened to me. I wasn't listening. I was looking up if comrade was just in relation to Russia, Russia, if they only say it in Russia, but no. it looks like it's a Portuguese word. Oh, oh those Portuguese. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> Let's let's move on. We'll just move I on. I do no I, no no the 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 Iberian Peninsula where Spain and Portugal are located has a weird history with communism and fascism because yeah. they basically had a uh, uh in the 1930s they had a fight between communists and fascists yeah. um which led to a 40 year long uh, fascist dictatorship there. Is uh, this where Hemingway went to fight? Like when they yeah, say that Hemingway yeah. went to Spain to fight the fascists, I'm going to assume he fought the fascists. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Hemingway went and, and so did um, Eric Blair, uh, 1984. He, uh, uh, he went there, um, George Orwell, and he fought for the communists and his takeaway was the fascists are bad. The communists are a hot mess. This is all a catastrophe. <laughs> 
Oh God. Doesn't that just feel like all politics boil down to like, hmm. like, I feel like it's like, oh yeah, that side is bad. And this side just is totally dysfunctional. <laughs> yep. Guys, I know a little bit about Ukraine from the news, um, but I'd like to learn more about it. Hmm. And Joe has widened that berth uh, <laughs> slightly on this episode, which I think is fine. Um, Guys, he's fine with it. He's fine. He's yeah, fine. The dictator, <laughs> your dictator's fine with it. So welcome, Lidheads, to You Don't Know Lid, welcome. a weekly, or as we call welcome. it, Strongly Podcast. Strongly podcast. Uh, where every week I pick a theme, and Ian and Joe both bring book recommendations for that theme. And of course, we have some show rules to keep us on track and to ultimately pick a winner. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words. Needless words, Joe. Yep. And rule number three, only winning matters. Um, Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And there are, there are of course, shadow rules. Oh. Folks, in the spirit of um, uh, our solidarity with Ukraine, Joe's, Joe's little radicalism is not to be yeah. uh, Joe put aside. to the side. Yeah. But leaving Joe aside, we stand with Ukraine uh, <laughs> on this podcast. And so these shadow rules are uh, Ukrainian. Oberihati, propuskati, virkati. That wow. means... That means, well, I'm not going to tell you what it means. You can look it up. Oh, gatekeeping. Ian's gatekeeping. I would like to let you know that I'm the only one here who got a tattoo of the flag of Ukraine this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no, you didn't. <laughs> when you I say tattooed, tattoo, do you mean your knees colored on you? I tattooed everything above my waist blue and everything below my waist yellow, guys. Gross. <laughs> so nasty. Why would you say that? I don't know. I hate it so much. Let's just move on. Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me what your book is about? Oh, you fucking absolutely. traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick, Ian, the man without a face is a chilling account of how a low-level, small-minded KGB operative ascended to the Russian presidency and, in a pretty astonishingly short time, destroyed years of progress and made his country once more a threat to the entire world and also, like, his region and his own people and that. Um, written in 2012, 350 pages, The Man Without a Face, The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin. Victor is a struggling writer. He owns a penguin. Then he gets a job writing obituaries for people who haven't died yet. An acquaintance asks Victor to watch his daughter, and then he dies. As Victor learns to how to be a father, he gradually also gets involved with secret government plots, organized crime, and emotionally with his babysitter. Death and the Penguin is a mesmerizing balance of surrealism and suspense, and it also has plenty of fun penguin-related shenanigans. All right, great. I think, Joe, we're going to hate your book, so why don't you go first, then we'll end on a happier note. <laughs> Got it, yeah. <laughs> This book is about Vladimir Putin, but it's kind of boo. strange. Yeah, boo, boo. Okay, yeah, we hate Putin. Um, and I guess I was a little bit surprised. I had always heard, you, you know, I've he I'd heard a lot about Putin, and I feel like Putin is one of these guys that there's a lot of like mystery or a lot of stories surround him. Like, for example, I think we all know that Vladimir Putin like came up in the KGB. Are you, are you guys familiar with this? Yeah, loosely, yeah. Yeah, so like he, he like Vladimir Putin like got his training, came up through university, was recruited by the KGB. Um and then there's like this kind of gray thing that happens next. So it's like okay, late 80s, early 90s, Vladimir Putin's in the KGB. Late 90s, early 2000s, Vladimir Putin is the president of Russia. 
That's a crazy transition. How did that happen? Especially because once the USSR fell, the KGB, like, they technically went away. Technically. (laughs) Yeah, technically. technically. Like, the KGB doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to put big quotes around that. Big scare quotes around it. Yeah. Um, so Joe, like, are, is, are you going to give us uh, actionable advice, career advice today? <laughs> Ooh, I would like that. I would say, like, Hey, here's who Putin you should poison with dioxin. Mm, Ooh, yeah. that got real. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I was thinking this, more of like, always have a smile or network. sure. Dress for the job. <laughs> you you network. Network. It's the energy. <laughs> cinematic energy. Yeah. Have a, have real strong cinematic energy. Mm. Yeah. He's got to be charming, right? Well, that's I, I the think so. weird thing. I think there's a there's a power there's a powerful charm to knowing that the person you're talking to can kill you. For, <laughs> oh, for, okay. Like yeah, right. I find this incredible. You can't help but be charmed by that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Consider me charmed. <laughs> okay, that's perfect because like it, it's weird. Like when we see a rise like this, we assume like and maybe this is our own perspective coming in. Maybe this is our own bias. We assume like, oh, this person must be charismatic. He must be charming. He must be like fun at parties or something like that from all accounts vladimir putin is none of those things and i guess maybe let me just tell you how he got kind of handpicked for this job to begin with um nick do you remember boris yeltsin have you heard that name before do you remember him we had a cat named after boris yeltsin uh what was his name boris jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that was an actual setup or not but i thought it was really funny joe (laughs) um That's a great name. Thank you for bringing that, Ian. Uh, yep. That's uh, okay. So that's about as much as I know about him as well. <laughs> okay. So Boris Yeltsin is the president of Russia post fall of the Soviet Union. So it's like okay. Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet Union falls. Boris Yeltsin is the first um, democratically elected leader of Russia. And he makes all these promises. The future looks bright. Russia is going to like westernize. They're going to modernize. And then through the 90s, he kind of partially through like his own fault, partially because of political pressure, partially because of just like the realities of the world he found himself in. He kind of failed to deliver on all of those promises. So that sounds he, right. Wait, wait, he, wait, a politician. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Boris Yeltsin is president through all of the nineties, um, failing to deliver on these promises. And he finds himself at the end of the nineties in a very precarious position because he's saying, look, I've lost all of my allies in government, right? right? Like, like to the point where anybody who gets elected after this, if they are not one of my supporters, they're going to put me and my family in jail to win political points. I am hated by the Russian people, like reviled by the, by the Russian people. I have no more allies. What do I do? I can't run for another term or at least not legally. And if I could, I wouldn't win it. So what do I do? So what Boris Yeltsin and um, his family decided to do, and they called like this close group of supporters his family, partially because many of them were actually his family. He said, okay, this is what we do. We find like the least likely candidate. Like we, we find a candidate who is still supportive of our regime, right? Don't care where we get him from. We set him up for success. Like we're going to appoint him to a high position. We are going to stage things so that he gets a lot of political power behind him. And then we are going to step down from the presidency and appoint him president, like in our absence before the elections. And hey, the Joe, guy, um, yep. just, I'm going to 
uh, yep. ask you to pause right there real quick. And just because, um, just only because of, I, I only ask because of our lengthy, lengthy history yes. of the, doing this podcast together. Is this all covered in your book or is this a story? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is covered in that book. This is like okay, chapter cool. one. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, cool, cool, and cool. And then you is pull it? out the plug <laughs> and the bus, the bus goes everywhere. Gut check Those stories one. are the best thing I bring to this show. <laughs> I wish you would stop cutting them. <laughs> Lidheads, I cut a lot of Joe's stories. You you don't even know. You don't even know. You don't even get it. And it's not even like, oh man, we wish I heard those stories. They're terrible. They just go on and they have no ending. Oh. I mean, I love them, Joe, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think okay. the world is ready for some of them. Okay, please continue. Please continue. Boris Yeltsin's like, we have to appoint somebody. So their plan is they find like one of the people in government who's still loyal uh, to Boris Yeltsin. And we're going to put loyal in big quotes there as well as we have to with like absolutely everything surrounding Putin. They appoint him prime minister of Russia. Boris Yeltsin then steps down from the presidency and like, like they write all these laudatory articles about this guy, Vladimir Putin. Yeltsin steps down from the presidency. Putin comes into the presidency and immediately starts curating his image. This started before. Starts curating his image for his presidential run, which is going to come very, very shortly. And that you ask if he's charming, you ask if he's likable, you ask if he's like charismatic. It's really weird because the image that he curates is none of those things. The image that he curates is he is powerful. He is mm. direct. He is domineering. Nick, are you familiar with pictures of Vladimir Putin without his shirt? Like, have you uh, seen this? Yes, I have seen this meme. Okay. Yeah, it's well, and it's it's not like to be clear, Litheads, if you aren't familiar with this phenomenon, Go ahead, head on over to your nearest Google machine and say, Vladimir Putin without a shirt, show me Google. And they will show you picture after picture after picture, not photoshopped, right? Of Vladimir Putin essentially posing for photo ops, doing masculine things without a shirt, right? Mm -hmm. Like riding a horse without a shirt, chopping wood without a shirt. Looking like this a strong the, dude. Looking like a big, strong, powerful dude. This is the image. This is the image that Vladimir Putin put forward to the world. Right. Um, and it's an image that turned out for the Russian people at the end of the 90s, after a decade of like having their promises to them broken, turned out to be extremely resonant <laughs> with them. Yeah. Or they didn't have a choice. Um, so what is your book about, Joe? Is it cover just the full history of this uh, rise to power? And then what's the timeline here? Like, Yep. The interesting is, so it starts when Vladimir Putin is kind of, is, is a kid, right? Like it really does start in his childhood. It doesn't like hang out in his childhood for a really long time, but it talks about who his parents were. It talked about the communal apartment that he lived in. It talks about um, what he, like when he was a kid, he wanted to be a KGB agent. Like he grew up in a time when the KGB was really romanticized, really celebrated in Russian media. Like there are popular books, there are popular movies about the KGB. He wanted to be a KGB agent. He wasn't. That's that a real good sign. That's a real good sign <laughs> when your children want to be um, a member of the uh, brutal secret police. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of speculation that his dad might have been a member of the KGB. Um, his parents, like his dad kind of had this like manufacturing job, engineering job, but 
not really, and their apartment was way nicer than all of the other neighbors' apartments in this communal thing. And like they had a telephone in their apartment, which was oh my so goodness, a telephone, yeah, which was like an insane luxury, right? An insane luxury. Joe, can I stop you here? I yeah. this is all very interesting. I I'm curious what what is this uh. What's the perspective on this book? Is this like a pretty straightforward history of the situation? Is yeah. there a, is there any take? Is this yeah? Uh, is this a the kind of the greatest example of like or the best version of of his rise or his history? Everything about him as a person is kind of this black box. Like it's kind of this thing that we can't see inside. And what this writer does is she goes through his um, biography. She goes through his history, all this like stuff around him and mm, pieces together slash maybe kind of speculates as to like, okay. where, like oh. how, what <laughs> happened and where in his life. So, so it's, it's, it's a connecting of the dots. It's like, we, yeah. we know we know that he wanted to, he became a KGB agent. Mm-hmm. Here are some suggestions yep. that maybe he wanted this from a child from childhood. So like we know, for example, that Vladimir Putin was high up in St. Peter in the government of St. Petersburg when the Soviet Union fell. We also know that um, when uh, we also know that St. Petersburg was a town controlled by the KGB. And we also also know that in the dust of the Soviet Union fallen, when everything had settled, basically St. Petersburg had given away anything of value, like all this stuff that used to be nationalized, that used to be owned by the Soviet Union and that then went to be privatized, had been essentially assigned to a select few people like two weeks later. And we also also know that Vladimir Putin was really busy and hard to get in contact with over this mm-hmm. time is kind of the like the detective work that this writer does. And the picture that she paints is kind of the picture that we've come to accept Pluton as today, right? Like he is a bully. He is a thug. He is manipulative. He is like kind of stoic and austere in in those ways. But he's kind of a bad dude who's gone through some really tremendous hurdles over some really tremendous hurdles for a lot of personal gain and not a lot of gain for well, well, it's hard to say. Maybe not a lot of gain for the average Russian. I can see the value. When, when was this book written? 2012. Okay. Yeah. I can see the value of this book in 2012. Mm-hmm. I think after 2014, when Putin uh, invaded Ukraine the first time and um, illegally occupied the Crimea, people and, and, and there were people being poisoned and, and stuff, um, Orange Revolution, so forth. People kind of realized, oh, this is this is not. There's nothing good about Putin. Like mm-hmm. this is not. This is not. So I I, I see the, the value of this in 2012, maybe less so after 2014 because the wake up calls are coming elsewhere. In 2022, like he seems like a fellow who would be okay with starting nuclear war. Um. So yeah. um. Well, I, I I don't mean to be like dismissive of the value of your book. I'm just curious. Like, what does this get us in? Yeah, you in know, what, 2022, you know what this it's is, a, it is sounds like a history book. Well, it's Putin's villain origin story is what it is, right? Like his super, his super villain origin story. You know, it doesn't feel like history when you're in it, Ian. I don't know if you ever heard that before. <laughs> it's true. I, it sounds familiar somewhere. It taught me a lot about Putin's like personal life that I didn't know. Like, this is crazy. Okay. But like, did you know that he has a wife? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, I didn't know that. Like, <laughs> I, like I didn't. Like, this man was just like a statue that led the country, as far as I can tell. Uh, like, it teaches you a lot about his personal life. It teaches you a lot about what he values. Um, I, one thing that I thought was really revealing is they talked about when Yeltsin, like when they were curating him for his run for president. One of the things that they had him do was kind of write his own biography. They sent some reporters to him. They said, hey, we want to put together your entire life history. Nobody knows who you are. Okay. We're going to send some reporters to you. You're going to have total control over like the message that gets sent out. But like, just talk to him. What came out was Putin describing himself. The word that comes up over and over again is like describing himself as a like a thug. Like he talks about the fights that he got in in the schoolyard. He talks about times that he like like bullied people or stood up for something or like fought people. Like that's his like it comes up over and over again. When they talk to people in Putin's past, like the things like the story that they always tell is, oh yeah, Vladimir Putin. I grew up with that guy. Let me tell you about this fight that he got <laughs> when we were in seventh grade or whatever it is. And I think it's so revealing that that's the image of himself that he chooses to curate, <laughs> right? He can pose anything to the world and he's like, do you know what I want to put out there? Me shirtless on a horse and me beating people up. Like that's what I choose to put out. So this is this is like maybe sort of um, Putin is is interested in, in a narrative of himself and this is sort of destabilizing or challenging that narrative. Like, hey, you know, he, he doesn't... Con- <laughs> Is this well, just but, extending his propaganda? <laughs> no, I I don't th- I don't think it does challenge mm-hmm. that narrative. I think it extends mm-hmm. that narrative. Like so, like the, this book follows the same pattern over and over again, which is basically like, okay, here's a bunch of stuff about Vladimir Putin. Now let tell let me tell you about like this other really shady thing that was going on in Russia at the time. And now let me tell you like how it was horrible and it was hurting the Russian people and people were dying. And now let me tell you how Vladimir Putin was probably behind it all along. Or, hey, here's this other guy who like left Russia like because of this, this, this. Let me tell you how he died in a car bombing. Oh, here's this other guy who this, this, this. Let me tell you how he got poisoned with a radioactive element that only Russia would have access to. It's like mm-hmm. that story is told 30 times in this book. Okay, so, but like, who is this for then? Because like if... Well, stay with me here. If if Putin puts forward this image of himself as shirtless boy, mm-hmm. um, shirtless power boy, we'll just go with that. And that has been boy. demonstrated to have a positive effect on not only his his Russian base, but some extreme kind of right wing um, folks in the U.S. and elsewhere. Like people see that, see that, and they're like, "Ooh, look at that powerful leader." Wish we had a powerful leader. Um, then who is this? Who is this for? Like, who is it trying to to uh, fill in or convince? Because I feel like if, if it's if it's signal boosting, yeah, he's a he's a he's a thug. There are some people who will be like, yes, that's what we like about him. Yeah, who is it for? Um, this writer, Masha Gassin, she is a writer in Russia, right? Like, she is a Russian writer. She lives in Moscow. She is she is a outspoken opponent of Putin, but she, and she is writing yes for a Western audience. Like this is an English book that I've read that I've read, but also I think she's writing for a domestic audience. Just saying like, Hey, dear Russians, like this is your leader. Like this is, this is who, who he we, is. Yeah. This is who okay. he is. I guess it's interesting for somebody out there. I'll never read this. 
<laughs> um, if uh, Masha Gessen, a few years after this, wrote a National Book Award winner for nonfiction called The Future is History, How Totalitarianism Reclaimed Russia. Nick, I haven't read that one, but National Book Award winner. That's pretty good. Uh, fantasy has been in the news again recently, guys. It's back. The, don't worry. <laughs> By which I mean, HBO has a, another iteration of its popular, I guess, maybe kind of Game of Thrones thing going on. Spinoff, House of the Dragon. Anyway, there's no book associated with that. Or maybe there is. I don't care. I think we should do um, a different OG uh, fantasy series. Right. Oh, I know what you're saying. Like, like, let's do a fantasy series that hasn't been ruined by a bad adaptation yet. Is that what you're saying? But, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Well, just the ending. Well, yeah, but the ending kind of ruined the rest of it. Like, have you okay. gone back and watched Game of Thrones since then? No, <laughs> this, this is, is not good. No, Game of Thrones no. season. We're going to talk cast. about it and we're going to talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lit loyal lit head Thursday has uh, uh, offered uh, a possibility, which I think we should explore. Patrick Rothfuss, mm, Joe, Pat- do you know who Patrick Rothfuss is? Yeah, I do know who Patrick Rothfuss is. Um, Wisconsin's favorite son, um, yep. Patrick Rothfuss from Madison, graduated from Stevens Point, fantasy author extraordinaire. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, oh! Can I just say something really quick? When yeah, I was definitely. preparing for my, um, when I was preparing for the short history of nearly everything <laughs> episode, I was reading the Goodreads reviews and one of them was from a guy named Patrick. And then I looked and it was a picture of Patrick Rothfuss and I clicked on his profile and it was actually Patrick Rothfuss oh, who's like really active on Goodreads. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yep. Is this one book or is there more? Yeah. So what's going on is it is an unfinished trilogy. Um, Patrick Rothfuss wrote The Name of the Wind. He followed it to, to much, much acclaim. He followed it up to watch to write the wise man sphere which is just as beloved and that was in like 2012 i i yep. might not be getting dates right yep. yeah yep um and it's been a long time of patrick Rothfuss writing goodreads reviews and not and much he's, else he suggested <laughs> that maybe he's not gonna finish it anytime soon but this has been on my shelf for a long time and i would love to have an excuse to read the name of the wind so i'll read the name of the wind yeah, and and I I am super excited to revisit a wise man's fear. So I'm super excited to revisit this, uh, Ian. I think you're gonna love it, and Nick, you're gonna listen to us geek out about it, whether you want to or not. So just deal with it. Yep. Ian, I'm excited uh, to hear about your book, uh, which is not only on theme, um, but is definitely gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this book, okay? This is a this is a great weird book by apparently I didn't know this and I'm not ashamed to say this I didn't know that Andre Kirkhoff is basically the Cormac McCarthy slash Stephen King slash Danielle Steele of wow. Ukrainian literature he's I, like the guy in I don't even Ukrainian, know who Andre Kirkhoff is well, yeah, we don't know how well, any of those people we have well, we know some of those people <laughs> who are they <laughs> um. I was I was uh, I, I a little bit ashamed. I mean, I guess I can't keep track of all of each national literature's. This is American, yeah. This is an English. You are it, English. Well, it doesn't teachers, say you right? don't know American lit. Anyway, he's a big deal, and this is kind of recognized as maybe his 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 greatest his greatest work. He's written a bunch of other novels, but it is uh it's it's kind of surreal, and it's pretty funny, and it's a little bit sad, and it's really hopeful. I don't know. It's it's a hard one to describe. 
was this written in English? No. No. So he wrote it. He, he it's, it's really interesting. He lives in Kiev and uh, was like kind of raised um, in, in that area. He is ethnically Russian. So like he is a Ukrainian, but his, like his parents were Russian. He spoke Russian in, um, in the home. He still speaks Russian. Um, so this is originally written in Russian. His books are banned in Russia. Like you can't, you can't buy Kirchhoff books in Russian or in Russia. Sorry. Yeah. So it was written in Russian and then it was translated into Ukrainian, which is a different language from Russian, and uh, then eventually into English. I will say that Ukrainian is a different language than Russian is something that I learned this week. I'm yep. ashamed to, to yes. say. I was wondering. Well, you know, we're learning a lot. Yeah, we And are. that's one of the things, one of the things I like about this book is that it doesn't set out to say, all right, so here's your, here's your, you know, travelogue to to Kiev or, or to Ukrainian culture. He he's he kind of assumes some things like, you know, it, it's a it's a book that I'm sure would work better if if we were if we were Ukrainian nationals if we got it. But but it also is a pretty good primer. It's a pretty good introduction to like uh, Ukrainian ways of life and Ukrainian mindsets and philosophies and and senses of humor and stuff. So um, it doesn't set out to be kind of an introduction, but it really works really well as an introduction. As an outsider, that's how you felt. Um, so cool. What's it about? Are there a lot of penguins in Kiev? That no, this is good. <laughs> like, like I can't. Uh, there can't be that many. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess just jump into is, the penguin part. Right. Let's talk yeah, about. Well, the we'll, okay, okay. We'll get to the penguins. Okay. We'll get to the penguins. Okay. Right, well, I promise I'd you. Like to get to them sooner than later. Yeah. No. Don't worry. All right. Worries. Okay. So this book. Um, we have uh, our main character. It's it's almost completely focused on Victor. He's our point of view character. He's our protagonist. Um, he is a writer. He's kind of kind of adrift. He gets this job writing for a newspaper, writing like literary obituaries for people who haven't died yet. Oh, that's the job I want. Like, like, well, like that's wait the job hear what I happens want. to him. Oh, okay. um, he also owns a penguin, uh, which we'll, <laughs> well get to. That is also the job I want. <laughs> um, so so got he, a lot going on. <laughs> well, but see, when we meet him, he doesn't. That's the thing. He, he just has the penguin. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't really have a job. He's just got this penguin, which the the um, the uh, Kiev Zoo, the zoo in Kiev was trying to get rid of their animals. Um, and shortly after kind of the end of the Soviet era. And um, so they were saying, hey, hey if you want a, a, an animal, come get it one. And he just got uh, the penguin is named Misha. So we just got Misha for free. Um, and I thought I thought this is like some of the surreal, like wacky. And this is actually true. Um, the Kiev Zoo, after the end of the Soviet kind of dominance, um, one of the things they did was they kind of trimmed down they did some they did oh some, god, uh, some housekeeping <laughs> oh god the and they culling. gave they gave zoo animals to people so oh god. guys 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 so that that begs the question um what zoo animal would you take like they're giving away zoo animals you can have anything at the zoo it's gonna live in your house you gotta feed it you gotta love it you gotta take care of it you gotta clean up hard. after it what do you take an otter obviously have you ever seen an otter? I see. My thought is my thought is one of those like like one of those swimmy boys. But the thing is, they you the have smell. to have water for them. The right, smell. An aquarium. They probably. Well, all, I think most you animals probably don't smell yeah. great. Yeah, possibly. If they would give me a thing to put a jellyfish in, I would take a jellyfish. Oh mm. yeah, that's trippy. So you're taking the coward's path, Joe. What would you do? Um, I would I would take a big cat, big yeah, cat, big, lion, tiger, lion. Yeah, yeah, lion. Oh, if it was nice, yeah, absolutely. Well, because it no. could maybe bring back food for you. 
And if it was mean, you could just tie it out in the front yard and it would keep away the neighbors. Yeah. Oh, so protection. I love it. That's how it works. Um, so the the penguin, that's that's the penguin, the deal. The penguin lives with Victor and Victor is just kind of like kind of sleepwalking through life. He gets this job and then he has a friend who's named Misha. Now the penguin is named Misha and this is confusing. So oh, that's great. The book, the book refers to the penguin as Misha and refers to the friend as Misha non penguin. Um, so <laughs> throughout the book, yes, the entire Amazing. book. Yes. Now, now, do you think that translates different in Ukrainian? Like, do you? Think I don't think like, so. Oh. I think it's just as awkward and weird as it is in English. I think it. Yeah, I think it's a pretty clear one to one. So, um, Misha non penguin is a friend, and they're some some they're they're kind of this is a this is the nineties. Um, Ukraine is struggling to kind of figure out where it's at. I would at. like to be uh, referred to as Nick non-penguin moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Nick, Nick non-penguin. Update, update your email signature. So Misha non-penguin is kind of caught up in some, like maybe some mobs, some organized crime stuff. And he one day brings his daughter, uh, his little little five-year-old, six-year-old daughter, Sonia, and says, hey, can Sonia stay with you, Victor, because um, I am in some trouble. And then he disappears for, for good. And so now Victor has a penguin and a, a daughter figure, basically. Okay. And eventually... Um, he makes friends. There's a, there's a soldier who lives nearby and he makes friends with a soldier. Um, he makes friends with Misha's or sorry, um, uh, uh, Sonia's the daughter's, um, uh, babysitter. And then eventually becomes romantically involved with her. So he builds up this kind of weird family. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a, it's not a conventional family, but over time he kind of, he gets into a good place. Ian non penguin. You, you covered a lot of, <laughs> Excuse me, Joe, I'm talking. Uh, excuse me, Joe, not Penguin, I'm talking. I think we all try really hard to not interrupt each other on this show. So just a little respect here, all right? Authoritarian style. Joe, is, Joe non-Penguin is losing it over the non-Penguin stuff, just to be clear. Yeah, I know. He loves it. He's fucking eating this up, Ian. Non-Penguin style. Um, yep. <laughs> Joe left. Ian... Uh, we just covered a lot of plot there. What is that kind of like the setup or is that kind of the the stretch of it? Like, what is this kind of a, what, what is this book about? Is it like, I don't know, like a Billings Roman or like, what is, what's going on here? <laughs> it's uh, a robotic cleft. It's a, I would say it's a slice of life. So like all that plot Ooh. stuff isn't really like a spoiler. It's just kind of like stuff like it's, it's this guy oh, and nice. we're watching this guy there are light sort of thriller elements. There are, there are like organized crime kind of espionage. Um, like, is there, is the, is there a degree of, of government like a uh, conspiracy that he accidentally gets involved in with these obituaries? Um, but the focus is really on him experiencing sort of like a world that isn't right. It, it, it's wrong. The world is wrong in little ways. And he kind of gets through it and he's a decent a decent person trying to do his best makes mistakes and growing as a result of the people in his life growing as a result of his mistakes learning his place in the world he ends up a very like he starts off kind of not very purposeful and he ends up with with a lot of purpose 
That sounds a little boring. Can I ask? Um, okay. can I- well, that's why there's penguins. <laughs> that's why. Okay, let me tell you about the penguins. Yeah, right, I know what you mean, right? This sounds like a dime a dozen. Yeah. This sounds like, you know, sad sack writer yeah. gradually learns to, to, this. Yeah. to right. love the, and the stuff. The friends you make along the way. Ooh. Yeah. Right. And and so it's like, so like like I say, there's kind of part of it is uh part of it is the penguin. So as I as I told you all the stuff about the <laughs> Let penguin. Let me tell you about the penguin. <laughs> but but this is the thing, like just when you're about to settle into like all oh, the familiarity, all oh, this is kind of classic Family literary fiction penguin. beat, the penguin like gets sick. Oh uh, or or he takes the penguin to he he befriends a penguinologist, uh, which is a scientist <laughs> who studies penguins, and the penguinologist passes away. So Victor takes now, Misha, the penguin. Now, is that a non-penguin penguinologist, or is that another <laughs> no, penguin? It's, no, it's it's a non-penguin penguinologist. I, I also want to know, as ping, penguinologist, there's no way that's the right term. Like, that's not even Who a bad knows? translation. No, the, the scientist describes <laughs> himself important. as that, so we'll go with how the okay. scientist. Um, so Victor takes Misha, the penguin, to the funeral of the penguinologist, and oh. somebody sees him there with his penguin at the funeral and says, that's super classy. Can I hire you to bring your penguin to some funerals? tuxedo. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. That's yep. built in. Is this an emperor penguin? Obviously. Not to get into it, you know, but No, no, absolutely. No, it's a it's a king penguin, so it's yeah. slightly smaller, but it's still cool looking. Does it still Do have you, the the tux? What's a king penguin is, look like? Yeah, the, it's a little bit less flashy than an emperor, but Do you uh, remember the first time you learned that some penguins didn't learn didn't live in Antarctica? Like that there are penguins in like New Zealand yep. or like Chile? Horrifying. Ian, I got to tell you, I'm totally bought. I'm totally sold on this book. Like, I wish I read this book this week instead of that shitty Putin one. <laughs> yeah, that guy sucks. It's <laughs> it's really fun. And I, I'm 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 like I said, it's it's a hard book to talk about. It's weird that you've got this this <laughs> slice of life. Oh, we have a penguin. I think we have a penguin. I'm sending out penguin chat. photos. That one's, that one's really Oh, yeah. Heavy. Big old fuzzy boy. I'm going right. to post this live time. Yep. Yes, you bet. <laughs> Get those, get those penguin clicks. Um, so, so like the, the penguin stuff is fun and the, the watching this character kind of become less of a sad sack and more purposeful mm-hmm. and lovable. And, and that's an interesting, like, even though that's a cliche, kind of a literary fiction cliche, it's also delightful. It's, it's, mm-hmm. um, I read a, a, a quote, um, from an NPR article about kind of what he, what he writes. Um, it says, don't think of Kirchhoff's work as grim. It's not. It's fast-paced and witty and on the side of the angels. For all the immorality that threatens to drown them, his heroes cling like latter-day Buster Keatons to the life raft of their personal decency. They may not be able to change the world around them. The forces that run it are too big and too strong, but they can find odd moments of zen-like calm and, more important, perform the small kindnesses that reaffirm their humanity, like looking after a penguin that wants nothing more than to find its way back home. So it's just... It almost like Joe, you talk about kind of uh Amor Tools and how he looks oh, on the yeah. on the on the happier, sweeter side. His name. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't I, think we've said his name correctly once. Not once. Well, that's why he that's should why come he won't on the come show on the and show. correct us. Amor, right. come on and tell it's us. It's just gonna be half an hour like. of him like saying his name and us all saying it. Wrong. Yeah. That's a, that's how it'll go down for sure. <laughs> No, but so but, Ian, but, as you said that though, that's like the like you can't help but think of gentlemen in Moscow, or I couldn't right. when he was saying that. It's right. like the same sorts of thing. It's like, oh, here's this world of chaos all around him, yeah. but he's clinging on to like the yeah. finer things that he can control. Right, right, and and sort of st- st- staying true to his principles. Yeah. And he's not like some highfalutin moral character, but he's just like, hey, you know, I I take care of the people that I care for. I don't take their money. I I so hey, are we gonna when? S- 
Are we going to talk about how he's writing obituaries for people that are alive yet? No, oh, that's yeah. pr- that's got to be really common though. Like, like the, there's a reason that the New York Times has um has Madeline Albright's obituary ready to go the moment she dies. Is it that sort of thing or no? Um, no, no, it's not. He's no, not writing it starts celebrity off as, obituaries, is he? Well, so so he starts off being being told like he's hired by this newspaper, and they say, okay, go like st- like start looking up like famous famous um government officials, celebrities, people in the public eye, do some research on them, have their obituaries ready to go. And then at one point in the book, his boss is kind of on the run and he sends Victor, the boss says, Victor, go to my office and get this thing and then come back. So he goes to the office and you know what happens. He sees something he shouldn't. Uh, He sees a file. He sees a file with all of his obituaries and the obituaries are dated with dates in the future. Oh, predate. Oh, wow. And there are some which have already run, which have a signature and the word processed. Oh, my God. This this feels like a spoiler. No, it's not. Because this is kind of like this is kind of it's, it's hinted pretty early um, that this is like where it's going. Uh, and it's, this is just like this is this is his kind of big the big the big narrative element of the obituaries is that he's writing obituaries for people who haven't died yet. And eventually it becomes clear that the people are not dying naturally. They're being murdered. Like one example is uh, one of, one of the, the editor kind of adds to one of his obituaries. Um, The general passed away while cleaning uh, a window that wasn't his. It was at night too. Um, I don't think they, I wish obituaries got into details like that. That's my biggest, oh yeah. my biggest issue with obituaries. It's like, just first sentence. I want to know how they died. I'll tell you how he died. Tell us how it happened. Number yeah. one, lead. What shape the were they lead. in after the passing away? Like <laughs> yeah. solid liquid. We found the puddle yes. of Joe. <laughs> and there's a, there's the, um, there's the, 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 this thing, this thing that Victor's boss tells him. Um, when Victor and his boss are talking about the future obituaries, he says, you're not going to understand this, this job of yours until it's too late. Like yeah. you'll learn, you'll, you'll, you'll figure out what's going on when you've been made redundant and when oh, you're God. going to be like suggested. You're All right, be. So this is kind of a mystery, huh? This is, it is a mystery. Um, it is a mystery. And, and I'm just, when you kind of start to think you get what's going on, Something happens. The rules change and throw you off balance. And I think this is really cool because it matches sort of what Ukraine has been through mm-hmm. in the last, well, you know, several hundred years, but especially recently, last the last century, sh- constantly shifting in terms of where it is vis-a-vis Russia and Europe and what this does to like a national, a national psyche. Just when you think you know the rules under, you know, like Soviet, Soviet oppression it changes. Mm-hmm. And throughout the 1990s, as you're trying to figure out what are we, you know, post-Soviet, things change again. We can never be too sure of ourselves. Redundant is such a Soviet word, isn't it? Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. so, it's so oh, like yeah. non-specific yeah, like, yet evocative. Yep. Uh, Ominous. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing, the other benefit to this book is uh, the sense of pre-war Ukraine. I mean, pre 2022 war. Mm-hmm. So Victor has this life. It's pretty simple. It's pretty middle class. And some aspects of it are recognizable. They're familiar to us. Like he wants personal fulfillment or he would like to buy a nice country house or he fries potatoes for dinner sometimes. 
and the other parts of it aren't. So the corruption, the the organized crime, conspiracies, it's like everywhere. Um, society is like pervasively militarized. There there are like wars going on and and gunshots and bombs and things. It's kind of just part of part of the world still. In between the penguins and in between the landmines that people set to keep burglars out, there is kind of this the the slice of life thing that goes on, and we it's delightful. Like Kiev sounds like a beautiful place. There are dangers, there's mystery, but the descriptions he talks really beautifully about the seasons. His winter is just such a good, like it's a beautiful winter. It's never like that nasty winter where he like it's miserable wants you want to stay inside. He describes things like snowstorms and slushy streets in a way that is cozy and yeah. cool and yeah. and and delightful. Um and then when spring comes it's like that's even better. Like you feel the sort of, the sort of release that, that, that the city feels. And this is weird reading this today because we know that much of Ukraine has been destroyed by bombs and, and missiles and things. And this book is especially poignant now because the Kiev that uh, Kirkov describes is a Kiev that doesn't exist really anymore. Won't exist again for a while. It's it's like a time capsule, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. I think that book. I think this sounds like one of the best books you've ever brought, and I think this book sounds amazing. And not just the penguin stuff, although that's pretty great. It's also not long. It's like two hundred and fifty pages. Oh man, it just keeps getting better. Oh my goodness, Joe, you're fine. Oh god, I gave up on this a long time ago, guys. Well, congratulations, Ian. Joseph, why don't you politely, mm-hmm. in Ukrainian, have <laughs> the Litheads what to do? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to have the Litheads just go ahead and enable Okay, he's taking off his shirt. Trans- he's getting on a horse. He's going to try and tell you what to do, Litheads. There is a don't lion to behind him. him. Why are we narrating? <laughs> what? Okay, keep going. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do it is head over to youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Suggest a theme, right? Tell us um, tell us what you want to hear. I, I just want to warn you, there's a long list ahead of you right now. There's a Nick. Well, I don't want to say much more than that. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, that's, that's no, not how it not. works. It's not. There's there's folks, you could submit something today and it could be on the show in two weeks. Yeah, that's, that's how that's 100% fickle and true. capricious we are. Mm-hmm. This is a nonlinear show. Yeah, if you are not feeling fickle and capricious, you can head on over and leave a review. (laughs) Um, Five stars, if you please. Podcast player of your choice. And as always, I think the best thing you can do for this show is to tell a bookish friend. Uh, You know, it's funny, when we initially started getting these theme suggestions through, between Ian and I, we knew everybody that submitted them. This is back in the day, of course. Um, Now, it's so fun to see so many names of strangers on there and people that we don't know. It's pretty awesome, It is really fun. So please keep submitting themes uh please uh well i'm not gonna say anything else ian well deserved one well done thank you um uh just a little, little word origin thing uh capricious uh well we'll do that, we'll do that some other cool. episode capri suns that's what you're gonna say right yeah it's from capri suns <laughs> yes <laughs> because no the the origin of this is from an, an italian word um which means shivering uh, and it might come from goats, capro goats that frisk around and that, that from frisking goats to being, uh, uh, changing your mind without motives 
or it might have to do with hedgehogs, uh, frizzled hedgehogs. Anything about penguins? <laughs> um, no, there, <laughs> there are no. Okay, I'm going to read. Um, <laughs> Kirkov is still, as I said, still active, and he's actually written some really, um, some really eloquent um, op eds and essays and things in recent weeks about sort of uh the conflict in ukraine and and um what russia is doing and he's you know being a, a being a uh an author being a, a novelist a fiction writer he's he's got a good command of the language so i'm going to read kind of the first section of uh a, a, an op-ed he wrote for the guardian on march 13th and this will give you a taste of his prose and also sort of his the way he weaves political stuff and imagery into his um into his writing It begins, Before, my wife and I hardly ever ate bread. At least if we weren't in the village where we sometimes spend weekends away from our home in Kiev. The bread we bought in the village was always tastier than the city stuff. In the Ukrainian countryside, there's a long tradition of having plenty of bread on the table and of eating it with butter and salt or dipping it in milk. Bread dipped in fresh cow's milk was also given to little kids and they loved it. Since arriving in western Ukraine, where, like hundreds of thousands of my fellow countrymen, my family has sought relative safety, we find ourselves eating much more bread than before. Our boys have always loved fresh bread. They enjoy making and eating sandwiches. In our village shop, we would buy our favorite makariv loaf, a soft, white, brick-shaped loaf. It was baked at the well-known makariv bakery, which is 20 kilometers from our village. Occasionally, you could find this bread in Kiev, but only in small corner shops, not supermarkets. I have been thinking about that Makariv bread for several days now, remembering the taste. Only now, as I remember, I sense the taste of blood on my lips, like when I was a child, if someone split my lip in a fight. The fact is, Makariv Bakery was bombed a few days ago by Russian troops. The bakers were at work. I can imagine the fragrant smell that surrounded them the moment before the attack. In an instant, 13 bakery staff were killed and nine were injured. And the bakery is no more. Makariv bread is a thing of the past. I have long since run out of words to describe the horror brought by Putin to Ukrainian soil. Ukraine is the land of bread and wheat. Even in Egypt, bread and cakes are baked using Ukrainian flour. It's the time of year to prepare the fields for sowing, but this work is not being done. The soil of the wheat fields is full of metal. Fragments of shells, pieces of blown up tanks and cars, remains of downed planes and helicopters. And it's all covered in blood. The blood of Russian soldiers who do not understand what they are fighting for. And the blood of Ukrainian soldiers and civilians who know that if they do not fight, Ukraine will no longer exist. In its place, there will be a cemetery with a caretaker's hut and some kind of governor general sent from Russia will sit and guard it. Thank you.